Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for having us tonight. Thank you for hosting this rally. I know it's a lot of work putting on a, a rally and putting on a conference, but uh, it's going to be a fantastic time. We're excited about it. God's going to move. Amen. I believe God's going to do something special. Uh, I believe that God's going to take us into a, a new realm, if you will. Amen. Into a new gear. Praise God. So it's going to be a fantastic time. Don't miss. Invite somebody if you can. Invite somebody. Um, be here. Be here, amen, on Friday. Make sure that you can take time for us. So thank you so much for uh, allowing us to be here. Praise God. If you have your Bibles tonight, turn with me over to Luke chapter 10. For a few minutes tonight, I won't preach too long because between now and Sunday night, y'all got a lot of church. Don't miss, amen. You don't want to miss it, praise God. Luke chapter 10, amen. I want to say amen. Thank you to Pastor Blake, I truly do value his friendship. I value the friendship also of this church. We love this church, love being here, love seeing you when you come, and we're so thankful, amen, that we have that that connection. But uh, just back at you, Pastor Blake, uh, you know what? Everybody has friends, but very few have friends that you can trust, a close friend. He's been that friend. He's always been a close friend, and I, I really do appreciate him, Amen. Luke chapter 10, verse 1, I want to kind of, if I can, hit this, uh, start this rally off with a topic that I believe is very important. I believe that it will fortify this church and the direction that we're going in. I want to minister tonight on discipleship. Amen. Our vision, of course, we know it's very clear, evangelism, discipleship, and church planning. We believe in winning the loss. We believe in taking men and women where they are, who they are. Amen. We see potential, but God really sees potential in men and women, and God begins to develop them as they're discipled, and then eventually the goal is to reproduce. Can you say amen? To reproduce who we are, and it's a fantastic vision. It's nothing new tonight, but rather it's a New Testament pattern. A New Testament pattern. So look with me, if you will. Luke 10, verse 1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now think about this tonight. The harvest is plentiful. We, we know that anywhere you go, there's going to be problems. There's going to be, be people with burdens. There's going to be sinners. That's not the problem. The harvest isn't the problem. The problem tonight is that we don't have laborers and workers to go out to reap the harvest. Now, look what happens in verse 17. They go out. They're sent out. They're sent out. Amen. We believe, thank God for Bible colleges. Those are wonderful. Thank God for institutions, people that will raise up and train workers. But we believe that workers are to be discipled and raised up in the local church. That is the New Testament pattern. It's not to send somebody off and then hope they'll come back after four years and now they're pastor material. Or they're ready to be in some type of ministry. Here we have an example of Jesus and the local ministry raising up people, sending them out, and they go out. In verse 17, the 72 returned with joy. I believe the King James says rejoicing. And it says 
They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Here we see the New Testament pattern and the example that God gave us. He says in Matthew chapter 28, go, go into the world and make disciples. I came across an, an article on the evolution of McDonald's in Russia. You know, up until 1990, Russia, of course we know, is a communist nation, amen, under the USSR, eventually becoming Russia, and even even today there's still uh, elements of communism in that country, uh, but in 1990, they opened up their doors to McDonald's. I found this very interesting because some years back in a conference, Pastor Blake preached on franchises. How many remember that? A few of you, amen, were there. We got so many new people. Excellent message on franchising. Uh, you take any franchise, you take McDonald's, you take uh, Taco Bell, and any, you take Coca-Cola even. And you go anywhere in the world and there's going to be a McDonald's, you're going to see those golden arches. Somewhere on that menu is going to be a Big Mac. Amen? They don't go over there and, and start a McDonald's and then change the pattern or change everything about it, but you'll find everything. Excellent message on franchising. So listen to this. Before the doors of the first McDonald's opened, they invested $50 million on a factory called the McComplex. And the reason they did this is because they knew they were going to have to import all of their foods, their beef, their, their lettuce, the, the uh, potatoes, amen, for the French fries. And so they invested $50 million so that they could have this food and they could have what was called a standard, a McDonald's standard. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know what the standard is at McDonald's anymore, but I'm sure headquarters wants there to be a standard. So they built this complex, this, this big, vast complex, $50 million. But check this out. The long-term strategy wasn't to import forever. The strategy was to send over American farmers to teach Russian farmers how to produce potatoes that met the standards of McDonald's French fries. Farmers to raise cucumbers, lettuce farmers, onions, etc., etc. Today, check this out, there are 451 McDonald's in Russia. Between 1990 and the last 16 years, now there are 451 McDonald's. Here you see the example, if you will, of discipleship or reproducing. McDonald's started out in 1990 importing 80% of their ingredients, and now 25 years later or 26 years later, they've closed down the factory, and more than 80% of the ingredients are made in Russia. Isn't that something? So they had to send their farmers over and say, look, your potatoes, they're about this big. We don't need little dinky fries, amen, unless you're Michelle Obama. And then you, and then you want your kids to have little dinky fries or eat apples, amen. <laughs> I'm not trying to get political. I ain't running for office up here or anything. But they said, we need some big potatoes because we want big fries. So they sent them over there and they said, this is how we're going to do it. We're not using somebody else's pattern or somebody else's strategy. This is how we do it. We're going to raise them up. Amen. And we're going to raise our own potatoes. Amen. I hate to refer to you guys as potatoes. Mr. Potato Head. Amen. But we're potatoes. Amen. God's raising us up. 
So here we have a recipe for discipleship, and I believe that God's raising up men and women, even in this body, in our church, to go beyond just the status quo of showing up on Sunday and getting a little dabble to you, but we want God to take our lives, to use us, to do something with us, and send us out so we can make a difference. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Take hold of God's destiny and plan for your life. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I'm gonna tell you today, these are the principles of a growing church. We find our destiny in discipleship. Now I wanna look first at tonight, if you're taking notes, at the qualifications and the potential of a disciple. There's a book out. I read this book years ago. I've told this story uh, back home. I love the, love the story of Seabiscuit. Anybody ever heard of Seabiscuit, the horse? They made a movie eventually. Laura Hillenbrand, she, uh, they just, a movie just came out actually not too long ago called Unbroken. And she's the same author that wrote Seabiscuit. Tremendous book. Books are always better than the movies, in my opinion. And it was a great book, but Seabiscuit was a champion thoroughbred racehorse. His pedigree was that he was the grandson of Man of War. Man of War, his grandfather, won 20 of 21 races. So here you have the bloodline, Seabiscuit, he's born. Somebody goes and pays a lot of money for Seabiscuit when he's, I was talking to, um, what's, what's uh, Jeff's wife's name? I, Kelly. I was talking to her last year. We went out to go see the horses. And some of those horses, the moment, she said, the moment they hit the ground, they're worth like tens of thousands of dollars. The moment they drop and hit the ground, they're worth money. There's value because of that bloodline. That's how it was with Seabiscus. So somebody said, you know, I'm going to make a lot of money. Here's my opportunity. Look at Man of War, the, the bloodline, 20 of 21 races. We're going to take this horse. It's going to grow up. It's going to make us a lot of money. So they put that money into this horse. They had high expectations. They began to train the horse, but they realized that this horse was different. First of all, it was too short. It had knobby knees. It was undersized. It would sleep and eat for long periods of time. Uh, too lazy to train. And they raced it, and listen to this, lost, Seabiscuit lost his first 17 races. I'd have gave up after 10. Amen, I'm losing money here, amen. So 17 races. So they tried to sell him for $2,500. Nobody would buy the horse for $2,500. Finally, they found a car dealer, a guy named Charles Howard. He said, I'll take the horse. He buys the horse. He finds a trainer named Tom Smith. It's, a, it's an awesome Cinderella story. And then he goes and he finds this washed up, old, alcoholic, one-eyed jockey named Red Pollard. And Red, the trainer has these unorthodox, unorthodox methods, but he sees potential in him. He begins to train this broke down, unwanted horse. And he realizes that there's something special about the horse. All these things that on the exterior that we see, are very problematic. He's undersized. He's got knobby knees. He don't want to do any. But then he found out that the horse has heart. And what he did was he would begin to race that horse. And in that last stretch of that race, 
they found out that if you put a horse next to him and you and you you held that horse until the very last minute, all of a sudden that horse would kick into high gear at the end, and they found out that was the way he was going to win races. He'd start late out the gate, pace himself, and finish strong. When he retired in 1940, he was horse racing's all-time money winner, but that wasn't where he made the money. He made the money later in retirement when they began to breed him and, of course, re reproduce him. And that's what discipleship is really all about. We take unwanted, broken people. We take people that most churches wouldn't give a second glance at. We take people that were drug addicts, alcoholics, I mean, broken lives, and they come in. Amen. They come into a place like this. All of a sudden, God gets a hold of their life, and those addictions and those things that used to hold them down, all of a sudden, they're broken off of their life, and God puts a new purpose down in their heart, and they find their gifting and their calling in a place, and this is a training ground. Amen. And if they have heart, can you say amen? God can take that and use it, and God can take a, a dud and turn them into a stud. Praise God. God can do something with your life tonight. He's looking for people that are willing to be used and they have heart. Now, it's important to see this tonight. When we surrender to discipleship and being discipled, that's where God unlocks potential in you. You have to be willing. You have to surrender yourself. Amen. Submit yourself to leadership and authority. I was talking to a brother tonight. And he began to tell me, you know what? We got... Uh, we got great things that we want to do. We see how God can use our life. I said, man, that is a, that's fantastic. God will use you. God sees that. God put that down in your heart for a reason. But make sure you do it under the leadership of this church and follow the pattern. I don't care where you learned it at. I don't care where you came from and how they taught you. No, no, no. Now you're under a new trainer. Amen? You're under a new trainer. Follow the pattern. And I want you to know God will unleash, unleash the potential in you. Hallelujah. But see, here's the problem. A lot of Christians have the Burger King mentality. Have it your way. They want to do it their way. Amen. You got to be able to break that. If you can break that and say, okay, here's the way I think it ought to be. But if pastor says it's another way or somebody speaks into my life and says, look, this is the direction we're going and you submit and you surrender to that, that's God's way. Don't your way, amen, we know, we understand. I've had so many people come up and say, you know what, this is how I think it ought to be done. Okay, listen, I understand that. We've been in this a long time. We have a method of training. Second Timothy 2.2, 2, it says, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Luke 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now, I want you to look secondly tonight in Luke chapter 9. If you could go back, amen, just one chapter in verse 57. I want to look at the cost of discipleship. It says in verse 57 of Luke 9, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, this might sound somewhat harsh, but when you begin to put everything into context and where we are and where we're going, it makes sense. Amen. So what is the cost of discipleship tonight in a group like this? What is the cost? How much does it cost? The answer tonight is it's going to cost you everything. And until you're ready to give everything, you're not ready to be a disciple of Christ. We have a lot of Christians. Every one of every disciple is a Christian, but not every Christian is a disciple. Amen. It takes giving and surrendering everything to be a disciple. Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 9. We have a great example of Elijah and Elisha when it comes to discipleship. And we see this relationship between these two men. We have the elder Elijah. Uh, he's a prophet of God. He's called of God. He begins to move in his ministry. We see all these tremendous miracles. And Elisha, he calls Elisha to come underneath him. He throws his mantle over him. And that mantle really says, basically says, you're under my covering. People in that day, they recognized Elijah's mantle. They knew Elisha was his disciple, and he calls him. And it says in verse 19 of 1 Kings 19, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen. And he ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and he took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them, boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and he became his servant. So first of all tonight, there has to be a reckoning and a consideration of the cost of discipleship and that is tonight that it's all or nothing. Look at this, Elisha wasn't, understand tonight, he wasn't a poor man. By the very fact that he had 12 oxen, most people in that day, if they were lucky at all, they would have two oxen if they're in any way financially able to do that. But here he is a man of means and wealth. And so, I mean, you know, it's, it's the hardest thing to send somebody out to pastor or do something for God when they have a very good career ahead of them. Because you can go from making $100,000 to making $20,000, <laughs> amen. That's a very difficult thing. So here you see right away the, the cost of discipleship. Amen. Jesus called his first disciples. It says in the Bible, as Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake. That was their occupation. They were fishermen. He said, come follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people or I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible says at once they left their nets and they followed him. They said, you know what? My number one priority no longer is my career. My number one priority no longer is about me and mine and my retirement and my car and my house. But my number one retirement now is what does God want for my life? That song, one of the songs that we sang is, it was talking about God's plans. Not my plans, but God's plans. Amen. And there's a saying in sports, and we've heard it many times, leave it all on the field. 
We're going to go out there and we're going to leave it all on the field. In other words, that means we're going to go out there. We're not going to hold back. We're going to put it all on the line until that buzzer sounds, until the end of the game. This is what we came for. This is what we prepared for. And we're going to give it all, everything that we have, and we're going to see this thing through. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Leave it on the field. Third tonight, and we'll finish with this, is there's an anointing that will only come through involvement. Now, I'm not saying God can't anoint you in, in your life in certain areas, but there's a, there's a special anointing, anointing that comes when we become involved in church, become involved in ministry, not just within the four walls, but outside the four walls as well. And I believe that God's facility for making disciples is here in the local church, and it comes through involvement. Listen, tonight, discipleship isn't a position. It's not a title. Can you say amen? It begins when we become involved in ministry at any level. Not when you get up here on this platform. Not when you're in the choir. Amen. Not when we finally made you an usher. Amen. Or we said you're going to be in church. No, no, no. At any level. Praise God for women that will give their time to take care of the kids so we can be in here and we don't have to put up. In Costa Rica, amen, Carla, probably members, we pastored in a, in a small, there was no space for a nursery at all. Man, the kids were the kids were yelling and fighting. In Costa Rica, they don't discipline like we do, amen. Amen, they might try and, you know, hush them. No, 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 they, they straight up slap them right there. Pull their pants down right in the middle of preaching, pull it and spank them right there. <laughs> it's the truth. There was no nursing mom's room. Amen. Dear God, they start nursing right there. You'd have to preach to the people on this side. Amen. But thank God for the women, the people that will give their time. Amen. To take it. It might seem like such a, a, a minuscule job to be back there, but God takes note of that. And even at any level, the, the anointing will be upon that person in that life. Can you say amen? Go with me to 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse 11. We live in this generation now that's uh, this social media generation, and we have what's called the selfie. Amen. Y'all know what the selfie is. And you, if you follow Instagram or Twitter or some of these Facebook different ones, and especially the young people, man, they love to take pictures of themselves. And... And they have a different face for every mood that they have. They have selfie sticks for every angle you can hold them out. And, and it's a self-pleasing generation that we're living in. Can I get an amen? amen? People are looking for their 15 minutes of fame. And, you know, even in the church tonight, there's sometimes a belief that the moment that I'm elevated, that's when I've arrived. I preached a message sometime back on, on David Long before David ever became king, David was a shepherd. I mean, I'm talking, even when he was anointed, they had, they had, uh, Samuel anointed him to be king, and then it took like 17 years before he actually put on the crown and, be, and sat on the throne. What was he doing all that time? He was taking care of sheep. It was a, it was a, it was a nasty job, taking care of sheep. It was a dirty job, taking care of sheep. Can I get an amen from all the pastors? That's all a pastor is. He's a shepherd. Amen. It's a dirty job. Them ignorant sheep. Why do they want to run off the clip? Amen. Why do they want to stray away? Don't they know there's wolves out there? <laughs> Hallelujah. 
He was taking care of the sheep. Can you say amen? I don't know how I got there, amen, but. Second Kings 3, verse 11. All this time has come, has passed, and now Elijah has gone up, taken away by the Lord, and Elisha is now a prophet. He's become known of that day. And here we have Jehoshaphat, and he said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Yes, there is a prophet, and his name is Elisha. But look at this. He's Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and it says here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Now think about this for a minute. He's not mentioned as a great prophet. He's not mentioned as uh, Bishop Hukamoshai of Chicago. Can you say amen? He's not this superstar. He's not known. He's not a TBN preacher. Amen. Here's a man that by this time, he's already parted the water. By this time, he's already done several miracles. And he's recognized as a man by one character, characteristic, a man who poured water on the hands of Elijah. That's tremendous. We don't hear about him from 1 Kings 19. He's called. We just read about it. And then you go from 1 Kings 19 to 2 Kings chapter 2, and there's no mention of him, but we know there's a considerable amount of time that has taken past. Some say, some commentaries say anywhere between 7 and 20 years has passed between uh, 1 Kings 19 and 2 Kings chapter 2. All that time, he's not even mentioned. But when he is mentioned, he's mentioned for a very good characteristic, and that is his, his attitude and his character and serving and being involved. What was he doing all that time? When he was under Elijah, what was he doing? You know what the Bible says he was doing? He was taking care of the needs or his, his bathroom needs. He was pouring water on Elijah. He was taking care of him. And this was Elisha's discipleship. You know, at, when Elijah put that mantle on Elisha, he could have got puffed up and said, oh, yeah, now I've, I'm, a, I'm a disciple of Pastor Jones. Amen. Those of you that don't, don't, don't know Pastor Jones, be here Friday night. I'm telling you what, he's an awesome preacher. Amen. <laughs> and how many people would get puffed up? Oh, yeah, Pastor Jones took me under his wing. Now I'm something. And Elisha could have been like that. But you know what? He wasn't like that. He said, you know what, I'm thankful. I'm very grateful. Amen. Put me in a position. Let me do something. Let me clean the bathrooms. That's what Elisha did. He cleaned the bathrooms. Let me clean the bathrooms. Let me work. Let me do something. And in that, that was what discipleship was about. The anointing rested on Elisha, not when he preached his first sermon, not when he got behind the pulpit, not when he got a title, but when he began to participate in the daily things and involvement and working and cleaning the porta potty the porta potty ain't nothing nice to clean. Can you say amen? amen? Hallelujah. What can I do tonight? Can you, can you pick up people? Amen. Can you, can you vacuum the floor? That would be an easy job here. Amen. Can you mop the floor? Can you take care of kids? Can you get some tracks and put them in your pocket? Go out and witness. What can you do? What can I do, pastor? Amen. I want you to know that there are no shortcuts in discipleship but if you'll catch this tonight the anointing and the impartation of discipleship comes through involvement hallelujah he took a young man pushing a plow with no direction for his life and released him 
into his destiny. That's what discipleship is tonight. Can you say amen? God wants to use you. We got couples in here. We got singles in here. Everybody, this is a body. Thank God for family. Thank God for this body. And, and the, it, somewhere in the New Testament, I couldn't tell you where it is, but my daughter probably could. <laughs> but it talks about the body. The Apostle Paul talks about the body. And you can't, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you, or can't say to the ear, I don't need you. Everybody's important. And I, I think I preached behind this pulpit once and said, you can't see your liver. Amen. But how many know you can't live without a liver? I might lose a thumb and I can live without a thumb, but you can't live without your kidney. Or maybe you can, I don't know. <laughs> but we need, everybody needs somebody. Everybody can do something. What can you do? How can God use you? Make yourself available. Submit and surrender to, to discipleship and this pattern of the New Testament. I want you to know something. This church and the growth of this church will explode. We've seen it. I told Pastor Blake years ago, when we went into Colorado Springs, I was about five, maybe six years old, 19, back in 19. Well, I'm not going to tell you what year it was, and then you'll be trying to figure out my age out. No, I'm just kidding. That's for women. 1978, I'm 43 years old. Amen. And we went in, in, into Colorado Springs. My dad uh, with four kids, actually three kids with one in the oven, my brother Ben. He just, he came in just a little bit ago and he told me that he made it into Denton. And four of us kids went into Colorado Springs and my dad took a church of about 40 people with this very, for years that church was there. It's right downtown of Colorado Springs, right in the middle of downtown. And for years that church wouldn't grow. I'm talking, it was hit and miss, 30, 40, go back down to 20, 15, jump back up to 20, 25 for years. And that pastor wanted nothing to do with that church. And they were looking for somebody, and my dad happened to step in to destiny. He stepped into destiny. It was a Kairos moment, a moment of opportunity, and he stepped into that. And that church grew with this very pattern of winning the lost, discipling people, and sending them out. That vision. And in four years, it grew from 40 people to 400 people. Think about that. That's some serious growth. God can do it here in Denton. If you'll, if you'll grab a hold of this vision and you'll, take, you'll say, God, I don't understand everything about it, but I want to be discipled. I, I have sat down and I've considered the cost of discipleship. It takes everything. Here I am. Use me. I give everything. I'll be discipled. I'll do whatever I have. If you want me to clean the toilets, I'll clean the toilets. If you want me to drive a van, I'll drive a van. If you want me to go out and witness, if you want me to be here, here's a good one. If you want me to be here Sunday night, I'll be here. I want to be discipled. Amen. I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight. You're here. Amen. This needs to be preached on Sunday morning. Praise God. But thank God. You say, I'll be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. What can I do? Do you want me to help in the altars? Uh, amen. I'll lift my hands during worship service. We're going to make this thing go. This doesn't fall on just Pastor Blake and Carla. No, 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 no. We're going to lift them up like Aaron and her, and her was a he. You remember the story. They got, they got behind Moses, amen? One on one side, one on the, and they lifted up his hands because his hands were so tired. As long as his hands were lifted, they were winning down there. They were winning the battle. But the moment his hands began to drop, because listen, tonight, pastors get weary. It's a, t it's a hard job. 
just to prepare a message from Sunday to Sunday, and that's if you're preaching once. Pastor Mario knows what I'm talking about. You preach three times, and that's just in the services. You got Bible studies. You got men's discipleships. You got, that's a lot of work in and of itself. But if you'll get behind Pastor Blake and Pastor and, and Pastora, hallelujah, <laughs> Sister Carla, and you'll say, you know what? You're not alone in this. This is a team effort. We're going to see this thing go. Amen. Peyton Manning might have been the superstar going into that Super Bowl. Hallelujah. Can I brag on my Broncos a little bit? Come on, Dwayne. Don't look away. I, 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 oh, I feel it. I bind that spirit. <laughs> Amen. He comes in. He's a superstar. But how many know Vaughn Miller? Oh, yeah, the defense, the team. Because I'm going to tell you something, Peyton Manning, without the defense and those protecting him and everybody that was on the team, even all the way down to the people that were on the sidelines, they put themselves together as a team to make that thing happen. It's not just one person. Brian knows this. Anybody that coaches knows. I don't care how good. We learned this from Allen Iverson. Now I'm just rambling. You got to have a team and build a team around them. Can you say amen? We can make this. God can bring an explosion of growth. Wednesday nights can be packed out. Sunday nights packed out. Could you imagine if every person in this place went out and said, I'm going to bring somebody to church on Sunday? It would be double this. We'd have to bring the chairs down in the, in the balcony in the back there. This place would be packed out. We wouldn't know what to do. It would be exciting. But you know what? God can do it if we'll get a hold of the vision. And say, God, take this old sea biscuit of a horse. No good for nothing. Broke down. Lazy. Amen. Lost my first 17 races. Do something with my life. God, give me heart. Give me fire. Give me passion. Take me just as I am and use me. And God will do it. God will do it. Can you say amen?